1 Timothy chapter number two, verse number one, it says, I exhort you, or I exhort therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all the godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. Let's pray. to Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this evening. Thank you, God, for being so good to us tonight. Lord, thank you for a Wednesday night service, God, where we can just come and, Lord, be reminded, God, what great privilege we have to come before you with our prayers, our needs, our requests, our desires, our hopes, and our dreams. Lord, because of that privilege, God, we don't have to live a life of worry. We don't have to live a life of fear. God, we can live a life of faith that is settled and steadfast in the word of God and, and standing upon the promises of God. And we're thankful tonight, Lord, that every promise you've ever made, you've kept. And God, you'll never let, let us down when it comes to your promises. We ask you, Lord, tonight that you'd just help our hearts to get in tune with yours tonight, Lord. Help us have the mind of Christ tonight. Lord, help us to walk out of here different the way we walked in. God, give us a greater burden for the loss than what we already have. Lord, we know time is running out. Lord, our days are numbered. And Lord, our life is short. Help us, Lord, to be an effective soul winner. Help us, Lord, to be effective at proclaiming and sharing the gospel with those around us. Now, they might hear the good news that Jesus saves. Jesus saves. We ask you, Lord, tonight that you just work on our hearts. Help us to leave out of here, God, encouraged, strengthened, challenged, convicted. God, do in our hearts whatever, Lord, needs to be done tonight. We thank you, Lord, for our church. Thank you for Calvary. Thank you, Lord, for your love towards us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. We're gonna work our way down to verse four tonight by way of introduction. We'll look at a few other portions of scripture tonight as we deal with this thought of praying for the lost. But verse number one here of chapter number two of Timothy opens up with a general call to prayer for all men. Now, when he says all men, he's meaning all people, not just those of the male species, but all men, all people need to be prayed for. You know, it's funny, I, I remember teaching in children's church and teaching uh, the little kids in Sunday school and, and you take up prayer requests and, you know, some would be for, you know, my dog or my cat or uh, pray for my, my, my family member's toe, all this kind of thing, but one without fail, normally one will raise their hand and they'll say, pray for the whole world. I remember thinking, man, that's a big prayer request. I mean, I, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. That's, that's pretty big. I don't know if, if I can handle that, praying for the whole world. And I remember thinking, that's just, that's just a child talking. But here is Paul talking to Timothy, saying, hey, pray for all men. Pray for all men. Tonight, the reality is, you and I, because of the power of God, could have a prayer life that impacts the whole world. I've never thought about it like that, never, never put those two together. And now to go back and apologize to all those little kids that that was a genuine prayer request. That you can, God can answer that prayer. But notice this, he, he talks about all men, but he, he lists out these different types of uh, prayer tonight. He says supplication, the fulfillment of needs. All men have needs tonight that only God can supply. And not just that they would be supplied to that, but in the supplication, of, in the supplying of it, they would see that it was God supplying their need. Pray for men's needs to be supplied, the supplication, the prayers that is bringing them before the Lord. You ever, you ever had somebody come up to you and you say, uh, or they ask you, what can I pray for you about? Or what's something that, 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 that you need prayer about? In the moment, in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the conversation, if you're like me, Jordan, my mind just goes, Pew. I mean, there's a lot that I need prayer for, but in the moment, I can't think of anything. And so we'll say something along these lines, just pray for me. 
Just pray for me. Uh, just pray that the Lord would do exactly what needs to be done in my life and that he would make it clear to me. And, and oftentimes, you know, we think that that's, that's a lesser prayer, but the reality is it's never a bad thing to pray one for another. We see the supplication. He says the prayers uh, made for all men, intercessions, inter- praying on their behalf. In essence, it's like Moses going before God for the nation of Israel. He was going in their stead and in their place. He was praying for them. One of the greatest prayers as a Christian we can pray is praying on behalf of somebody else, interceding for them, and then the giving of thanks. Look at verse number one. In giving of thanks be made for all men. Lord, thank you for those that you've allowed to come into my life. And so we see here that there's this general call to prayer. Praying for all men. Praying for everybody. But then we also see verse number two, and oftentimes this is where most preachers stop at. This is where we get on our hobby horse. This is where we get mad. This is where we, uh, it's the whole message takes a hard left turn and never gets back to the Bible. For kings and for all that in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. We as Christians are commanded and here instructed to pray for our leaders to pray for those that that have been placed above us in authority. And sometimes it's hard to pray that prayer. Sometimes it's hard to pray that prayer and not get mad. And I can understand why it's easy to take a hard left turn there. And especially, but notice here tonight, notice there's a a specific line of prayer here when it comes to praying for our leaders. Pray that they would lead in such a way that allows me and you to live peaceably and quietly. In essence, lead in such a way that lines up with the word of God so I can step back and say, I agree with that. That's right, you're doing it the right way and therefore I can continue on to serve the Lord in a peaceable way, in a quiet way. As a Christian, it is not my desire to be a a rebel, to be one who causes trouble and, and brings attention to myself, but also as a Christian, there is the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of me and when something is wrong and something isn't right, I'm called and commanded to stand up for that which is right. And so my heart is to have a leader that believes the word of God, that, that, that lives by the principles in this book, and if that's the case, and we can be at peace with one another, and I can live quietly, I can go about my business, they can go about theirs, we can both glorify God. But the key to a, a leader isn't personal recognition, rather it is to the benefit of those that they are leading. And that's the problem with modern day leadership teaching and and belief system, it's all about doing something that you'll be remembered for. Doing something that you'll be recognized for. And and I'm going to try my best not to make a hard left turn right here. But we are living in a a country now and with under leadership right now that that all they want is everything to be inclusive. Right? Everything's got to be inclusive. And and so, because they want to be remembered as the first uh, presidential party and the first uh, leader and first presidential group a leadership group to usher in this inclusive society in America. And the problem with that is it's created problems and they've made problems bigger than what they really are. Do you really think tonight the biggest problem in America is the pronouns we use when we address one another? I mean, we've got bigger problems. But in order to have a, a legacy left behind, our current leadership says this is the biggest problem and really it's causing more problems than it is solutions. And so our prayer is that, that we would have a, a president or a leader, not just in our, in our country, but in our homes and in the church and in our, our jobs, men and ladies that will, under the authority of God's word, lead properly in a way that benefits those that are underneath them and doesn't produce self-recognition. So there's, a, there's Christians that are praying for their leaders, 
There's a general call of prayer in verse number one. Verse number three tells us that those kind of prayers are good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. That those are prayers that God says, hey, he gives you the thumbs up on. That's good. That's acceptable. But then we get down to verse number four. It says, who will have all men, who God will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And we're to pray. There's a general prayer for all men. Then there's this prayer for our leaders. And then we see here the prayer for those to come to the knowledge of salvation, to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of truth. All men would be saved, which is caused by all men coming to the truth. Can I say tonight, you'll never get saved until you come to the truth about your situation. And you can't split this prayer request apart. In essence, you can't just pray for salvation without coming to the knowledge of truth. Because if all you have to do uh, is get saved and you don't have no truth behind it, what are you getting saved from? And if all you have is truth, that you're a sinner and, and you failed God and, and, and you are at odds with God, but you have no instruction of salvation, what do you do about it? And so we see tonight this prayer request is not that they would just get saved, but they would come to the knowledge of truth because when they come to the knowledge of truth, it leads to salvation tonight. And we ought to pray for the lost this way. But let me ask you this way. What does your average prayer for the lost look and sound like? Does it just come out on Sunday mornings during the invitation? Lord, if there's anybody in here that's lost, Lord, would you save them? There's nothing wrong with praying that prayer, but it, can it be more than that? I think so. What does our prayer for our lost family members sound like? Those that maybe live within our house and those that live outside of our house. Our prayer life for our coworkers that we know need the Lord. Now, my working situation has changed in my life here recently, becoming pastor. I don't work around the same crowd that I used to work around. There's not, there, there is no cussing anymore around where I work now, right? If it is, it's either me or my kids, and that's a big problem. <laughs> but the situation I used to work in, it was evident those men needed the Lord. Those ladies needed the Lord that I used to work around, and how often do we pray for them? How often would he pray for their salvation when we do? What does it sound? What about the total strangers we bump into during the day? What about those, those, those situations that come about in our life that we just think are normal uh, everyday circumstances or happenstance, but in reality is if we had probably prayed about it, we'd recognize that God has lined us up with somebody that needs to hear the gospel that day. What is our prayer life? What, are, what do our prayers for the lost sound like? We say, well, preacher, why is it such a big deal for me and you to be effectively praying for the lost? Because this isn't a one or the other responsibility. It isn't, well, I'm not going to share the gospel, so I'm going to make sure I pray for the lost. And it's not like, well, I'm going to share the gospel, so somebody else better pray for me. I firmly believe tonight if me and you effectively pray for the lost, it'll help us in the practicality of reaching the lost. It'll give us the courage, the boldness to go and share the gospel with those that we need and so tonight we're going to look at this thought of effectively praying for the lost. Every Christian can effectively pray for the lost by making sure we pray for the following needs of the lost tonight or pray for the following needs of the lost person tonight. So we're going to look at three portions of Scripture tonight outside of where we started tonight and deal with this. Number one, we must pray for their condition. We must pray for their condition. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. And we'll show the condition of a lost person. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. If you go down to verse number 3, it says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them 
which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The other night, I, or other service, I got excited and I was preaching about how God was the God of heaven and God was the God of the universe and I said, he's the God of this world. Now, he is the God of this world, but my mind said, that's, that's how they describe Satan in the scriptures uh, tonight. And so sometimes, listen, even preachers say things that we don't even mean uh, behind the pulpit. And say, and so I don't, if you're saying tonight that I was saying that God is Satan, I, that's not what I was saying, all right? <laughs> But we see here tonight there is a description of the lost here and it's, it's as if they are blinded. Now tonight, if I were to bring in a blind person, set them back there at the back door and tell them, hey, I've hid $100 in here. All you gotta do is find it. We're gonna watch you. We're not gonna say anything. We're not gonna give you no hints. You just have to come here and find the $100 bill that I've hid anywhere in the sanctuary. Now you'd probably say, preacher, that ain't right. That man's already blind. His life is difficult enough. He's already got all these other things he's got to contend with. Why would you hide that from Give him the $100, let it be a blessing to him, and send him about his way? Right? We wouldn't, we wouldn't be sitting here like, look at the blind guy not find the $100 bill. Isn't that funny? No, it's not. Right? We'd be picking on their disability. We'd be making fun of something that's outside of their control, so to speak. It wouldn't be nice or caring. We'd be belittling them and putting them down. But that's the mentality that we see here in verse number three. It's a foolish thing for the Christian to hide the gospel. Why? You're hiding it from those that need it the most. Look what it says. For, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. It is hid to them that are lost. We can't live the mentality that they're just going to figure it out on their own. They're just going to wake up one day, have an epiphany and say, you know what? I need to get saved. I don't know what prompted that. I don't know where it came from. I just need to get saved. There's something about it. Let me ask you tonight, how did it work out for you? Did you just figure it out one day or did somebody in some way, form or fashion share the gospel with you? Whether it was through a preacher preaching or somebody personally coming to you, a family member or, or you know, seeing something, something some way got your attention and pointed you towards the gospel. And so we realize that the world tonight is, if we hide the gospel, we're hiding it from those that need it the most. And here's the thing tonight, not only is it hidden from them, but also they are blinded. They are blinded tonight. Look at verse number four. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Satan has blinded their mind. And that's as he placed a blindfold over them. Why? To keep them from observing and realizing the reality of their condition. He's blinded them. He's, he's inhibited them from seeing the reality of what they're living in and what they're going from and what their greatest need really is. And here's the thing. Satan has multiple blindfolds. He knows which blindfold will work for who. And he knows how to blindfold them. Tonight, quickly, we've got, I wrote down a couple blindfolds that Satan will use. He used the blindfold of success. Money, power, popularity, that's all you really need. You don't need no help. You need to help yourself. You need to build yourself. You need to be a, a self-made person. If you just get success, you don't need any other. You don't need religion. Religion ain't gonna help you. You just need success. But just look at all the successful people. How happy are they really? They chase it. They live for it. And in the end, they never actually find the happiness that success is supposed to bring to them. I wanna give you three things tonight, or three names tonight, and see if you can figure out what they all have in common. Marilyn Monroe, Ernest Hemingway, and who's the other one I got? George Vanderbilt. Some of the most successful people this world's ever known. 
These are people that have made it to the pinnacle of their careers in their respective field. I mean, everybody knows Marilyn Monroe. Everybody knows Ernest Henry, one of the greatest writers of his day. Vanderbilt was one of the richest men to ever live, of the likes of uh, uh, Rockefeller and Morgan. And then there was Vanderbilt. These were people who had everything the world had. To offer. They had the blindfold of success. Very successful. And all three of them took their own life. Why? Worldly success is not what men and women need today. And yet Satan's willing to blindfold them and say, listen, if you're just successful, everything will go away. He used a blindfold of success. He used a blindfold of self-gratification. If it feels good, if it makes me feel good, it must be okay. Because if it was wrong, I wouldn't feel good about it. We're living in a day and age, Galatians has... Uh, writes out the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, and as I've told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, back in the day, those that were participating in those things Though they would not necessarily come to church, they would not actively participate in church and, and Christian activities, they still had a respect for it. They knew that which they were doing was wrong, and so they were going to hide those things. That day and age, that boat has sailed. We're living in a day and age where not only are those things no longer viewed as wrong, if you say they're wrong, you're the one that's wrong. They've been blindfolded. If it makes me feel good, then it can't be wrong. And what has Satan done? He's taken just enough scripture and tied it to this wrong ideology, wrong thinking, to make it seem like that these people are okay with what they're doing. They'll say things like this, if God really loves me, then he wouldn't let me do these things. He wouldn't let me participate in these things. He wouldn't let me, and here's the thing, if they were really wrong, then why do they feel so good? They've become accepted in our social society. Uh, things that 20, 30 years ago were absolutely out of this world crazy that nobody would get in line with are now become the norm. And if you say anything against it, they get mad at you. Why? They're blindfolded. They're blindfolded. You're taking away their comfort that they have and what they're doing wrong. It's not how could I be doing something wrong like this. It is now how dare you tell me what I did was wrong. He used a blindfold of success, a blindfold of self-gratification, and the blindfold of satanic lies. He's a liar from the beginning. God, I challenge you to go read through the scriptures. You'll never find a place where Satan tells the complete truth. He'll add pieces there and there, but he always ties a little lie. See, in the Garden of, uh, Garden of, Gethsemane, Garden of Eden, where he told Eve, shalt thou surely die? I mean, is that what God really means? And we see here tonight that he's, he's full of lies. And so, listen, if they're, if they're a humble person, they're not worried about success, they are, they're a moral person, and then and they're not doing all the crazy stuff, he's got a blindfold of lies. Tell them things like this, you don't need that. Or they'll feel like they, they'll never be successful, they feel like a failure because they completed all, in all participated in all those things, he'll say things like this, God don't love you. God doesn't care for you. God won't save you. God actually hopes that you go to hell. Those are all lies tonight that he'll put over the blindfold or he'll blind somebody's mind with so they don't come to the reality that there is a God who died for them, there is a Savior named Jesus, and that they can be saved by the grace of God. Well, he said, preacher, if the blindfold's on, how do you get rid of it? 
How, how do you, how do you uh, uh, reach them? Well, there's only one thing that's greater than the blindfold. It's the light of the gospel. Look what it says in verse number four. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine unto them. Let me ask you tonight. If you had your choice, and it was your birthday, and they brought out the pinata, would you rather go at that pinata with a blindfold on, or would you rather go with your eyes open? Jordan? Eyes open, right? I would. There's candy in that thing. If I hit it with a blindfold on, not only did I not see myself hit it, but all the other kids are going to come in there rushing before me. They're going to get the good candy. And I'm going to be left with now and laters. <laughs> Tootsie Rolls. I know some people like those, just they're not my favorite. Uh, but notice here tonight, how do we deal with them? We don't yell at them because they have a blindfold on. We bring in that which is greater than the blindfold, and it's the truth of the gospel. Listen, I'm, I'm not telling you those things are wrong because I hate you. I'm telling you those things are wrong because there's something better for you, and it's found in the gospel. Listen, you can have all the money. You can have all the power, all the success this world has to offer, and in the end, it's not going to matter, but the gospel can change that. The gospel can give you something that is eternal that this world can't take away. And yes, somebody might have told you that God hates you, but can I say he died for you because he loves you? We see the prayer, their condition. We must pray and ask the Lord to reveal the lost, reveal the lost their true condition. Because here's the thing tonight. It's not our ability that is going to change their mind. It is the truth of the gospel. But our prayer ought to be God. Would you go to where they are? And God, allow me in meekness and humbleness and in grace explain to them and teach them and show them their real condition. God, help me to remove the blindfold off their life. That Satan is placed there. First of all, we must pray for their condition. Notice number two, we must pray during their contradiction. Turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter two. 2 Timothy chapter number two. Flip through our Bibles tonight. I don't know if it's preaching, teaching, Bible study. It'll be all three tonight. Pray for their contradiction. Look at 2 Timothy chapter number two, verse number 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. Preacher, we ain't supposed to pay, pray for that. Well, you're gonna need it. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, would give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Look at that last phrase, by him at his will. Can I say not those that are blindfolded, from God, or blindfolded by Satan? It's not their desire. No man in reality would step back and say, I want to be captive and taking hold and being hostage, held hostage by Satan. He binds us. He's, 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 that, he's the accuser of the brethren. That is his, that's his desire. That's what he does to us prior to our salvation. We are taken captive by him at his will. But notice this, we must pray for their contradiction. How many wish this thing was a whole lot easier? How many wish there was a cheat code to sharing the gospel? <laughs> you just, you know, did your left arm, your right arm, nod your head a few times, and they just get saved. That's all there was to it. I, I grew up playing video games 
And uh, some of them, I didn't need no cheat codes with, but some of them, boy, it got hard. And so I would, I'd go, this is before the days of the internet, you got to go buy it to the store and buy magazines and, and try to find, hopefully your game was inside of there. And we had these little things you plug in, they were full of cheat codes, all that kind of stuff tonight, just to try to make it easy. But here's the thing, when you put the cheat code in, it, you actually weren't playing the game the way it was designed to be played. And so many times in our Christian life, we're just looking for an easy way out, right? We're just, I'm going to share the gospel with them one time. They're going to get it. Everything's going to be honky-dory. They're going to get saved. That's great. Now, it may work out that way. You may find somebody that you share the gospel the first time, and they get saved by the grace of God. You ought to shout, thank the Lord for it. But a lot of times, it's going to be difficult. And a lot of times, it's going to be a struggle. Sometimes, it's difficult to pray for and care for sinners when they act out towards us. Or they seem to disregard us they seem not to care about what we have to say until they need us. Until something happens in their life and all of a sudden, yes, they have, uh, they have uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They have, they have stayed, stayed away from us. They've avoided us for three months and all of a sudden their grandma gets sick. I need to go find that Christian so he can pray for me. And something inside of us says, why you come now? You want to hear nothing I had to say three months ago? Why should I help you now? And we have to remember that Christ suffered the contradiction of sinners. Christ is our example, right? Christ is perfect. And what they do, they lied on him. They, 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 they brought up these falsehoods against him. They charged him falsely. They accused him falsely. What did Christ do? He died for him. He suffered the contradiction of sinners. And tonight, if me and you are going to be effective in our soul winning, then we need to pray, God, give me patience when they contradict themselves and when they come against me and when they act out like sinners are going to act, Lord, give me patience with them. Because the end game, the, the fact that I have the gospel, I have what they need, is more important than my feelings getting hurt. Look at the instructions given here in verse number 24 through 26 tonight that Paul gives us here, that he gives to Timothy, dealing with sinners who are contradicting themselves, sinners who are acting out. He said, practice patience, not strive. Look at verse number 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. Patience, not strife. <laughs> I think what I always struggle with it is because it makes no sense to us. Why would you say that towards me? Why would you act that way towards me? Why would you make fun of me? Why would you put me down like that and all of a sudden come to me when you've got a problem, issue? <laughs> you know, it's like, why would you do that? Why would you act this way? Why are you acting crazy like that? Because then it's not crazy. To them, that's how everybody else acts. That's what everybody else says. That's what everybody else does. Well, how come it's cr not crazy to them, but it's crazy to us? Because we know the truth. We know the truth of, of, of the situation this evening. We know the gospel. We know what the Bible says. We know the truth. They don't. And so when they act out and they're acting crazy, it's because they don't have the truth guiding them like me and you tonight. They don't know what the Holy Spirit conviction feels like. Right? They're just acting by the flesh. That's all they know to do. So practice patience. Practice patience. Learn to smile. And just let them go off. And then come back to them. It's not, I mean, I'm saying it's not easy. Your flesh isn't going to say, hey, I'm going to be quiet, right? I'm just going to let them vent. I'm going to let them do what they got to do, and then I'm just going to come back to them. But can I say, you know, we need to be patient with them. We need to be patient with them. I remember hearing the story of a preacher who got fed up and just looked at the person and said, why don't you just go to hell anyways? Let me ask you, is that really a desire of our heart for somebody to go to hell? You know, it's one of those that we wouldn't wish upon our worst enemy. There's been men and, and groups that have come against America, and as an American citizen, it bothers me. But the reality is, I don't want them to go to hell. 
Because as a Christian, I know the reality of hell. It is, it is not pleasant for anybody. Well, preacher, they deserve to go, and so do you. And so do we all tonight, so we got to learn to be patient. How many of you glad that somebody's patient with you? How many of you, the first time you heard the gospel, you got saved by the grace of God, but it took somebody maybe coming to you over and over again, explaining it further and further. They were patient with you. They were patient with you. Learn patience, not strife. Don't just preach, but teach. Look at verse number 25. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. It goes on to say in verse number 20, apt to teach. Apt to teach. Now, understand tonight, there is a biblical commission to preach the gospel, to proclaim the truth of Christ, but it needs to be backed up with teaching. It needs to be backed up with teaching. Why? Teaching helps explain. Proclaiming presents the truth. Teaching explains the truth. But notice the attitude of teaching. It says in meekness. Look at verse number 25. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. See, reality tonight, you're thinking, more they're opposing me. The Bible says they oppose themselves. In essence, when you're sharing the gospel, you're trying to get somebody to see the reality of where they are and what they're going through. But do so with the spirit of meekness. Nobody, from the, nobody in the church and nobody in the world needs a spiritual know-it-all. Somebody who stands up high and, and pokes their chest out and says, look at me. The other Sunday, we were teaching about the prayer of the publican and the prayer of the Pharisee. And I think I shared this the other, other, one of the uh, Sundays ago about how I, I prayed right before uh, we started our class and I just prayed and thanked the Lord that I wasn't like the kids in that class that I didn't disrespect my parents this week and I didn't disobey them when they told me to clean my room and that I didn't spend too much time playing video games this week and I didn't do all the things that they probably did this week. And I said, amen, and I remember looking up and everybody was like, oh, preacher, why are you praying like that? But you know, there were some kids that wasn't listening because they were still nodding in prayer. <laughs> when it one year and out the other. But uh, the night, nobody needs a spiritual know-it-all. You're not gonna reach people by belittling them and putting them down. Think about this. When somebody came beside you, and, it, and I'm not just talking about spiritual things, but anything in life, when somebody in the spirit of meekness, somebody who obviously knows more than you do, and obviously has been through more than you have, and they break it down for you in a way that it makes sense to you. You could have easily said, you're, you're never gonna get this. I'm just gonna leave you alone. You're gonna have to figure out. Meekness is gentleness. It's being mild. And so yes, there's that bold proclamation. You must be born again. Now let me tell you why. Let me tell you why you have to be born again. And because you're a sinner. You're a sinner by birth. You're a sinner by choice. You're a sinner by nature. And you just explain it down the road to them in a way that is not coming off as somebody who knows better, but somebody who has experienced it and wants them to experience for themselves. So don't just preach, but teach. But then notice verse number 26. Why? Why? Notice the purpose of recovery. That they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. In essence, tonight, when me and you share the gospel, we are given the extension of grace. We're extending the truth of salvation, the free gift of God tonight. But here's the thing. Me and you can't pull nobody out of a pit. We, we don't have the power. We don't have the ability to do so by ourselves. There's going to have to be a choice that is made by them to receive that which has been offered to them from Christ. In essence, when they receive that gift, they trust God. They, they get saved by the grace of God. It is God that is going to pull them and they're going to recover themselves out of the pit that they're in. And that's what's, uh, a lot of times what's, what's, what the problem is, you know, that we hear that saying, we're going to clean the fish before we catch it. We have all these rules and regulations, you're going to find, and all, can I say, none of that stuff matters until somebody gets saved by the grace of God. 
And so we see tonight the purpose of recovery. We know that they're a sinner, but they need to know they're a sinner as well. I remember working in the cabinet shop. I was working with Brother Mike Andrews, pastor of Canaan Baptist Church, and we worked with another guy named Mike. And uh, Mike was never rude to us. Mike was never a, uh, ugly towards us about being Christians, about going to church, but he just had no, nothing to do with it. And he, he, didn't, he, didn't, uh, he definitely didn't sound like us. He didn't talk like us. And oftentimes, you know, he would say things that, that would just make you blush. He, just had, he had a way about it. And, you know, we'd invite him to church and never come. We'd invite him to church, he'd never come. And he was just never real big on, a, you know, all that kind of stuff. And one day his daddy had a stroke. And we were in the shop that morning and he said, would y'all pray for my daddy? He just had a stroke. And I, I just need, need y'all to pray for him. I thought to myself, you know, you, now you come to us. Man, we've been trying to tell you for three months now how good Jesus is and how he can help you and how you can pray to him and how he can change your life. Now all of a sudden you want to come to us. But that wasn't Brother Mike's attitude. Brother Mike just put all his tools down and said, all right, let's pray right now. And so he started everything we were doing. We had prayer meeting at 6.15 in the morning <laughs> with everybody else working. I said, pray a little longer, Brother Mike. <laughs> but no, he just stopped everything and started praying with the man. And I thought, Wow. It made a profound difference. A couple of weeks after that, Brother Mike Andrews was having a watch night service for New Year's Eve. And, uh, man, we've been inviting Mike to come to church, either one of our churches. He's like, man, come to either one of them. They're both good. And the Lord will help you at either one of them. But he ended up going to Brother Mike's that Sunday for the watch night service. Ended up making a profession of faith. All because there was somebody that was willing to be patient with them. Somebody that was willing to, to teach him and to take time with them. And when they contradicted themselves, didn't just put them down, didn't throw them out and just said, hey, listen, I'll pray for you right now. I'll help you out right now. Well, we need to learn to pray for sinners in the midst of their contradiction. Are you willing to pray for a sinner even when their contradiction flares up in your face? Pray for their condition. They're blinded. Pray for the contradiction. They're just acting like sinners. Number three tonight, pray for their conversion. Pray for their conversion. Take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter number 19. If you had called me earlier today, I would have gave you all my scripture references and saved you some time tonight. Matthew chapter number 19. Verse number 23. Very familiar portion of scripture. It says, then Jesus said unto the disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. We need to pray for the conversion because there's only one that can save them and his name is Jesus Christ. It's the Lord tonight. But we see two great truths right here in this account. First of all, we see man's actions can't save themselves. Where, where does this conversation spur out of it? It's that young rich man who comes to the Lord who says that he's kept the law and he's done all these kind of good things and, God tell, and the Lord tells him to go sell all the stuff and give it to the poor and he walks away exceedingly sad. 
Because he knew that that's something he could not do. So we realize his actions could not save themselves. The burden's too great. Nor can our ability save anybody else. Because the disciples look at the Lord and say, who then can be saved? How can, how can anybody else be saved? What, how can we do this with the way you've explained it? And if we relied solely on our ability to present the gospel, we'd be consumed with praying for ourselves. Lord, help me to say it exactly right. Lord, help me, to, help me, Lord, not to stutter over my words. Lord, help me not to, 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 to come off as awkward when I'm knocking on somebody's door. Lord, Lord do all this, do all, and we'd be consumed with ourselves to say it just right and without any kind of mess up. Can I say tonight, if, I, if there's anything you can learn from my preaching is that what I say and how I say it, 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 the Lord uses me in a mighty way. It's the grace of God tonight. But there's never a such thing as a perfect uh, presentation in the sense that you're, 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 you're going to stutter over your words. You're, you're, you're going to be nervous about it. I remember the first time somebody ever came to me needing and concerned about salvation. I mean, I, I knew the Romans wrote. I, I'd, you know, I had it marked in my Bible. But I don't know who was more nervous, me or them. My hands were shaking just as bad as they were. <laughs> thinking, man, I, I got to do this just right. I got to say it just right. I got to have it all just right. Can I say tonight? Go with the word of God. If you learn how to take the word of God, let the Bible explain itself. And that's what they can trust in is the word of God tonight. It's not about me and you being a perfect salesman. It's not about us having the, the perfect personality to win people to Christ. Now, you know, we ought to strive to do that which we can do and, and give it our best effort tonight, but realize that that power rests solely on God tonight. And so you notice the example given in verse 23, 24, 25. <laughs> the young rich man walks away and Jesus makes the statement that it's, it's, it's hard for a rich man to enter into heaven, enter into the kingdom of heaven. Then he goes on to say, and again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He gives this example of a camel going through the eye of a needle. How many would say tonight, that's impossible? That's impossible. Now, there's two ways that it is possible, but some things would have to change. First of all, the camel would have to change himself in order to fit into the eye of a needle. I mean, Jeremiah had this figured out hundreds of years before this. When he asked the question, can Ethiopian change his skin and the leopard his spots? Can I ask you tonight, can a camel change themselves to fit into a needle? Can they just say, you know what, I'm going to be super tiny now and change themselves? And so what we learn from that is that man can't change himself. Man can't fix himself. Man can't, can't do the work that is necessary for salvation to be a, a man-made thing. So the man can't change himself because if, if the camel could, then he could change himself to go through the eye of the needle. Or what if the needle changes? What if the needle changes to incorporate and allow the camel to go through? It gets bigger. Well, then the truth would have to change for every person. It had to change by uh, circumstance. But here's the thing. The truth never changes. The truth is the same as it was yesterday. It'll be the same tomorrow. Why? The truth is the truth. That's why Jesus said, I am the way. There's only one gospel, there's only one truth, and there's only one way, it's the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. So there is not multiple ways for the camel to get in. There's not multiple ways for men to get into salvation and people to be saved. It is only through the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. In verse number 25, notice the exclamation made by his disciple. Who then can be saved, Lord? Lord, that is impossible. <laughs> 
they're trying to write their, how can we do it? Salvation is not attained by merely, by, by man's efforts. It is impossible. That's why I'm not a fan of the salesman pitch of salvation. I remember reading a, uh, going through material, and I, I think maybe their heart was right in it. Maybe they were just trying to give a good explanation. But they make it, they package the gospel as if you're trying to sell somebody a vacation rental or a timeshare somewhere. And you, and you, and you come off and, and you, uh, you, know, you, you try your best to win them over with a compliment. A compliment. You know, and sometimes that backfires on you. That's a nice boat in your yard, sir. What kind is it? I have no idea. <laughs> just think it's nice. Right, it becomes this salesman pitch. It becomes about how well can I present the gospel? How, how can I win them over? Or the emotional approach to soul winning. I remember when I was over the, the young people and, and teaching children's church and we were doing a Christmas play or something like that. And uh, it might have been around Halloween time. Somebody approached me in the church and they said, Brother Tate, I got a great idea. I said, okay, what is it? He said, for Halloween... We're gonna bring all the kids in here. And he said, what we're gonna do is we're gonna cut off the lights. He said, I found a recording of people being burned alive. And we're gonna cut off all the lights. And we're gonna play that recording. He said, I want you to go up there and I want you to tell them that's what hell's gonna be like. I said, no. <laughs> he said, why not? I said, because all that's gonna do is scare them. He said, but... What if it scares them into salvation? I said, you've got the wrong idea here, sir. Salvation is not about being scared. Salvation is trusting in the Lord that he died for you. Now, we understand that hell is a real place, and hell is a scary place. Hell is a place that no, no person ought to want to go tonight, but it is totally avoidable by putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you, you don't have to scare people into salvation. You don't have to pull at their emotional heartstrings to get them to make a decision Present the gospel, let the Holy Spirit convict them, and that's how it's supposed to be done tonight. But he said, he said, he said you know, we're going to do that and we're going to scare them all. And I said, no. He said, well, I'm going to talk to the pastor about it. I said, go ahead. <laughs> Did y'all do it? No, we didn't do it. <laughs> we didn't do it because it, to me, that's not what it's about. It's not about scaring people. It's not about a salesman approach. It is simply taking the gospel and saying, here's what Jesus can do for you. And here's why you need him to do it for you. And here's why he's your only hope. But notice this, they say, how, who in the world can be saved, Lord? It is impossible for us to do this by ourselves. And no doubt, if we, if we don't come to that realization now that it is not of us, but it is of God, we'll do anything and everything we can, we can connive and think of to make it possible for us to do in our own ability, our own strength, when we ought to be relying on the Lord. The notice explanation given in verse number 26. Jesus said, I know that. I know it's impossible. For you. So with God, all things are possible. We need to present and teach the gospel to them, but we must trust the Lord for the increase. That's why Paul said some, some sow, some water. God gives the increase. God gives the increase. Our prayer is that when God presents the impossible to them, that they would trust that God would do the impossible for them. Salvation in man's ability is impossible. You know, I can't do it by ourselves. And it really, to step back and to think that God would love somebody like me is almost an impossible thought to fully comprehend and understand. But yet we know that God can do the impossible. He can save those that come to him in faith. So when you pray for the lost, you pray as one who knows that God can do the impossible, that God can save them. We need to pray for their conversion. We need to pray for their contradiction. We need to pray for their, for their conviction. Uh, condition, sorry. Pray for their condition tonight. 
Let me ask you this this evening. What is your prayer life like for the lost? Uh, preacher, I just mentioned it here and there. You know, generic, Lord, save, save the lost. Lord, no doubt there's nothing wrong with that. But when we begin to pray effectively for the lost, it'll help us to be an effective witness to the lost tonight. So I encourage you to ask the Lord and to go before the Lord and ask him to help you improve your prayer life for the lost tonight, your prayer for the lost and dying tonight.